the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Welcome, everybody, to the Spot Track Podcast, presented by Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. It's empowering professional athletes and entertainers. Yeah, we know you guys listen. Give you the knowledge you need to make informed decisions about finances and wealth. Learn more by visiting morganstanley.com slash GSE. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC, member SIPC. It is the post-Easter edition. Paul Peck, who's still hunting for eggs in his yard. You want me to sing to qualify myself as entertainer? You know, qualified? <laughs> you need me to sing a little bit? I think uh, they'll pay more in sponsorship <laughs> to have you not sing on good the point. podcast. Yes, good point. And the founder of SpotTrack.com, Mike Gennetti, who I'm sure had a, you had a new egg. You know what I did? Well, the egg right. hatched already new in the family. Egg, that's but. right. <laughs> new baby. So I'm home a lot. I'm sitting around a lot. You know what I did this week a lot? Went through old old baseball football cards. Nice. Found some found some gems. Found some financial I mean, nothing, gems no, no, or no, just cool nothing, gems. Nothing's worth anything, but I've that's just right. Really neat things like a Jason Garrett World League card. Nice. Wow. Uh, Jennifer Montana card. Joe Montana's <laughs> wife. Come on. Yeah, there was one year where they actually did the wives. Phenomenal. <laughs> just, just some gems. Yeah. I had I had no idea that there were. I didn't there. I didn't remember. Eleven year old Mike opened up that pack and saw a couple of uh, you know scantily clad <laughs> NFL quarterback wives. John Elway's ex wife. I've got so that's awkward. <laughs> <laughs> Are they going to come to the latest card show? No. You know they're worth about ten cents each. So yeah, they, went, well, they went right in the garbage can. That is the amazing thing. Um, it, it really started, I think, uh, you know, you're a little younger than I am, yeah. and Paul's a little older than I am, but we're all roughly the same generation. And the stories from our fathers, right, who's our grandmothers oh, threw God, out their cards. Oh, yeah, all the Just time. Right? So what do we do? We all saved our cards. Yeah. So they're not worth anything. They're laying, they, We all have them in a box in our basement. We haven't looked at them in 25 years, probably. The only thing I have, my father-in-law... Um, gave me the, the, the second best thing he ever gave me. His daughter was the first, right? And gave me, you know, mm-hmm. handed marriage. Um, but the second best thing he ever gave me was these old football cards. So I have a uh, Frank Gifford rookie card. Yeah, nice. you know, Crazy Legs Hirsch, yeah. Roy Hirsch. You know, so these are they're kind of cool, uh, you know, cards that he had just sitting around there. And I had him, you know, evaluated once, and I think the grand total was like three hundred fifty bucks for these yeah, cards. Not I'm not going to bad. Yeah, but I'm not going to get rid of them, right? You know, yeah. they're just they're, they're just cool to look at. You know, I. Uh, it's your neck of the woods here. I found a box of unopened 1991 PGA Tour cards. Come on now. So I opened them. Oh. Because I looked up and there was Did nothing you? worth anything. Oh, you should I found be- a couple of John Daly rookie cards. He was like 150 <laughs> pounds. Sure. <laughs> Incredible. Well, JD is not that big of a man. Like, he's got some girth. Right. But when it comes to height. Yeah. Um, mind me show you some pictures because he had a... a you know, a celebrity tournament. They couldn't find anybody else, so they had me come. And uh, we we're hitting shots in a par three, so there was like a celebrity on every hole uh, who came to this thing. And so we got, you know, got to meet John, and uh, I've met him a couple times. And I'm taller than John Daly, which you wouldn't think, right? And I'm five eleven. No, you wouldn't because think because the looks big so big. hitter and and, and yeah. you, just, you thought he's like six three or six. It's four, like five right? nine, maybe. Ma- really? Interesting. Maybe maybe five ten, maybe. Maybe. Wow. So that weight was power, huh? The weight. Well, his. You know, he's just a free swinger, yeah. right? And uh, just able to do it. So I'd love to see those. I, I'll bring them. Yeah. Ninety-one PGA Tour. You should have done. What- oh wait, free swinger as a golfer? You mean? <laughs> I'm just gonna let that marinate out there, Paul. Um, you should have done what Darren Ravel does sometimes, right? Opens the pack. 
He's, I've seen oh, him do it on in, Twitter. With a video? You're right. Yeah. I should have done that. Yeah, it rips him open, you know, yeah. the, the, the live reveal. I did that in Cooperstown last year when I went out there for the Hall of Fame baseball stuff I because I, they sell the old packs of cards in the in the shops out there. And I did. I, t- I took a video of my daughter opening an 89 tops to see if there's a Griffey rookie card in there. Sure. Yeah, that's a neat idea. Well, let me ask you this question, and then we'll uh, we'll get on to the NFL draft because that's uh, coming up here in a few days, and that's what the show uh, is going to be about. And we're going to talk to Greg Gaber from Pro Football Weekly. But so, who saved all these cards back in the day? Do, like tops, like shelve some, like somebody have the foresight to say, look, let's like, we created these packs with a, with a bubble gum in there. Let's or were save. They unsold. Maybe unsold. Has to be right. Right. Yeah, you Got to sure. think unsold. Right. And somebody had them in a storage shed somewhere or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I have I have some unopened sets from back in the day and things like that. But yeah, I, I didn't. I couldn't believe I had packs of PGA cards like that. I don't know what I was thinking. You know what? This just is spawning an idea. Future show. We should have a, a card guy. Let's on do it or something. Okay. Um, if we could draft a set of cards, I'm not sure which card we draft, but in the first round, I'd probably go uh, with tops uh, overall. Yeah, <laughs> you know the, the one I'm most way. familiar with that. But you know, when you look at the NFL draft coming up on Thursday with the first round, it's now a three-day extravaganza in the NFL. Mike, you did a really cool thing to look at positions and where they were drafted for starters in the national, not not overall. Upcoming. Yeah, projected starters this year, just based on the Arlad step charts. Um, yeah, it's kind of neat to see how these guys are put together. I mean, obviously your quarterbacks are going to be first rounders. I mean, that's sure. What eighty five percent basically it's the most are dominant rounders. position on that list, isn't it? it? Of first rounders, right? Yeah, it it is, and and it's come a long way. I mean, the last six years you're getting four in the first round, pretty much guaranteed. Um, we'll see what happens this year, but that's that's the no brainer position. To here, think obviously. that tw- you know, again, I think most people know this, but to see that twenty one of the thirty two starting quarterbacks in the NFL were drafted in the first round pretty much tells you what we should already know which is that's where you have to get your first your quarterback there's one undrafted starter this year who is it it's not ryan fitzpatrick he was drafted case keenum there it is yeah we think we for now we we think he's gonna start (laughs) yeah that's that's remarkable yeah that there's only one it is right well we had romo for a lot of years he was the he was the udfa sort of king which, by the way, my niece asked me on Easter Sunday when we had the golf tournament on the Skechers commercial came on, and she's like, he's not even a golfer. <laughs> it's a pretty good one, actually. I, I'm like, he's trying to be. So yeah. anyhow. It's such a unique position with such a unique set of skills that are that are pretty obvious when you are a first-round level talent, but then you combine that with the fact that teams probably overdraft quarterbacks in the first round because it's such a crucial position it probably floats that number a little higher what you're shaking your head at me it's all about money it's all about money it's because it's because it's the one position where you the the savings are so immediate and so big if he's your starting quarterback i, I tweeted yesterday if kyler murray or dwayne hessens goes number one overall they're going to have an eight an average salary of 8.75 million that's 19th that's nothing it's going to be right. 21st after a couple more extensions this offseason i mean that's that's crazy. That's crazy to think you you can draft a guy, put him in your lineup, and he's the twentieth highest paid player at that position. <laughs> but but the the option too, the option year in the first round, right? That and, and, and you get the fifth year, so you 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 essentially can get seven years out of this rookie yeah, contract. Watch for that seven. again this year um, with some of those teams at the bottom of the first round. You saw the Ravens trade up to take Lamar Jackson with the yeah. last pick of the first round last year in order to get that fifth year option. Watch that bottom of the first round, whether it's the Patriots mm-hmm. or the or the Rams trading out to a team that wants to do it. I think those last four or five picks of the first round are going to be in play depending on how many quarterbacks go before that. Yeah, the 
the 30th pick this year is going to carry a four-year contract of $10.5 million. That's great. For a quarterback, <laughs> that's great. I mean, two, $2.6 per year for four years plus the fifth-year option. That's, that is where – I mean, that's where, where Lamar Jackson went. That was Aaron Rodgers back in the day. That's You can get a starting quarterback there, and if you do, the value is – Unbelievable. Yeah, and it's also why very few quarterbacks get taken in the second and round anymore because that's, you, you jump in and do it yes, for the fifth you year. Jump in and do but it. But Paul, to your point, you, you know, there's been so much up and down with these quarterbacks this year. It's not a slam dunk. It's not a slam dunk that Murray goes one. It's not a slam dunk that Haskins goes tenth. Right? I, it's very possible that those that the Drew Locks and the the kid from Duke, right, Daniel Jones. Yeah, it's possible those two are the better two quarterbacks, and they're taken thirtieth, thirty second. And th- those contracts are phenomenal values for those teams. Yeah, so no question. It, this is the year where you really got to watch the, the money. But if teams know that, um, trading down yeah. and taking the quarterback, right? If you can do if it. If you can do it. The problem is there are, there's, a, there's probably a half dozen teams that are eyeing quarterbacks in that first round, maybe more than we thought originally. I mean, there's going to be a few teams, and we'll talk about it later. You know, you never know when you know a couple of these teams are going to be ready to get their next guy, right, and put him on the bench. Well, so. and that's the thing; it's not necessarily. There's only a few teams that, as we sit here now, would say, "Oh my God, they need a quarterback to come in and start right away," which was different than last year. Those teams that took those quarterbacks needed them to start right away. Where you're at now are the teams that are starting to think two years down the road to replace some aging starters right now and may want to have that guy in place. Let me ask you, Paul. Are there any teams that need a quarterback to start this year? Well, I would think uh, Miami and Do Washington they? could be teams that Can't, would draft a quarterback, and that guy probably comes in and starts within the first half. I'm not sure on Miami. I, I think they're pretty set with Ryan Fitzpatrick. I really do. At least for this one year. I don't know year. that you should ever be set with Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> just, just, l- l- let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. It's very similar to Josh Allen with the Bills. The, the rest of that roster is, is a mess. It's a mess right now. They're not ready. They're not built right now to be ready for the rookie quarterback. I, we had this discussion with with Josh Allen, and, and you, you sort of put a what a four, five, six week you know limit on it. Maybe that's the case. And if I they think, get but the I right think guy. it's it's different when you have a roster that's a mess versus a roster like look at Kansas City yeah. and what they did with Mahomes. That roster was in place, Perfect. so you didn't need him to come in. Now quarterbacks are more get more ready to start than they ever have before. There's more pressure to start them before, and I think that's what you saw last year with Mayfield, Darnold, Allen, and Rosen. You, you you might have wanted to sit them for a while, but ultimately they were the best quarterback that you had, and you played them right away. So. If Miami takes a quarterback in the first round, he's going to start sometime within the first month of the season. There's no doubt in my mind. Well, there's but doubt. If a a first team, month? First month? Well, yeah, uh, I think no, so. I, I, would, I would say. He might be from the beginning because he'll look better than Ryan Fitzpatrick no, in the preseason. No. No. I, I completely disagree. Okay. Um, uh, only this, and I'm just looking at the history of Fitz here. Fitz it, it comes out of the gate good, right? And, yeah. and, and he's smart. He knows offenses. But this is why it's a perfect gamble for Miami. Can they get a year long of Fitz magic? Yeah, nobody ever does. Nobody no ever way. does, right? But they get about to week seven or eight, and it's like, eh. Guys. There's so much pressure to start for rookie first-round quarterbacks now. But Kevin. this is why it's perfect. This is why it's perfect. They have the perfect quarterback for it. They've got a guy who's going to perform well, keep you in the hunt, and then all of a sudden, eh, the five-interception game comes about, right, or yeah. three interceptions, and we've got to make a change here, and it's not like there's a controversy with it, you right? Know you know what's funny? Like, you know, 2010, 20, 2009, before this rookie wage scale, 
you had to start those guys because you were paying them sixty right, million dollars. Right, right, right. Now you have to start those guys because you're not paying them sixty million dollars. <laughs> true. And because the it's window's really open and the salary right. cap is so tight. Right. It's funny how it's it's full circle, but it's it's the point is it's all about the quarterback. It's all about the quarterback. It is. If your guy can play even a little bit, he's gonna play because yep. he's cheap. And if you can get him better this year, next year's your go year. That's where the Jets are. That's where the Bills are. There's there's a few teams who have where these the Browns guys. Are. Of course, the Browns. Yep. The thing that's not surprising to me on your chart is the running back. Yeah, position. but let's talk about it because it, it's a little fun, right? It's well, a little fun. It is. It's 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 almost. What's not surprising is you don't have to get a running back in the first round. However, the running backs in the first round, it's only two shy of those that are starting second round, fourth round, and undrafted. That to me is the the surprising stuff. The undra- the amount of there undrafted are- free agent running backs who are projected starters in the NFL. 12 come from the second round, 12 from the fourth round, 12 undrafted. Right, and it's 10 a, in the first round. It's a complete mixed bag. Sure. It's anywhere It's anywhere you want to get one, you can get one. And the only time you should get one in the first round is if he's all generation. And, Superb. And we'll talk about that. Right. And, it, and it, there's no reason to say that that's wrong anymore, right? Well, I mean, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, nobody's going to gawk at anybody taking those guys in the top no, 10, right? No, but, but the game has gotten to the point now where, where you don't have 35 carry a game running backs anymore. So to me, taking a running back, no matter how good he is in the first round, doesn't make a lot of sense. But And this, I think this chart backs that up. Outside of Rashad Penny, who I think might have been the one bust over the past three, four years in that first round, all of those guys are dynamic players. They're not... They're not three down running backs, right? They're they're catching 50, 60 balls out of the backfield. So there, there's production to justify. I mean, it's not like that's a ton of money either. Sure. You know, it's five million a year, which is a lot for a running back right now. It's that's way over the average. So the it's it's tough to say it from a financial standpoint because you know how much you have to pay those guys over four years, but you're you're probably not paying those guys after that. And you no. know, that's that's the point here. If you can have those four guys at age 22 to, to through 26 and you have to pay him a little extra to, you know, to get him in the first round, I, I have no problem with any of the guys who've been drafted in that first round just because they've changed the, their dynamic. I, I mean, they fit the modern football scheme. You know what I mean? You don't have to, you, if that's the player you need to fit your system, go and get him. If that's the player the Bills will need next year, I think they will, right? They're going to need that kind of player coming right. up here. They've got seven running backs who uh you know are <laughs> all eligible for social security it's either, it's either gonna be yeah it's either gonna be a patriot situation where they they it's a new in every game or right. you know we'll see how that unfolds but there are certain teams that just need that playmaker there's no reason not to take them in the first round if you don't need the quarterback if you don't need the edge rusher where you know those positions but let's go down the list a little bit here because i i thought the tight end was interesting there it's a it's a pretty even split I mean, it's all throughout the board. One through four, even to fifth round, has a pretty ample amount of t- starting tight ends in the league. It's Maybe the hardest position to evaluate. To value, right? Yeah. I was thinking that well, too. Well, to evaluate because and of the blocking lot, versus every the production. team wants different things out That's of their right. tight end. That's what I mean. Their, their roles change based on scheme, right? No question. You, yeah. and, and, and again, tight end is, is – there's subsets of the tight end position. You can get a receiving tight end who's basically a big wide receiver. Sure. You can get a blocking tight end who's basically a small tackle. You can try to find guys that are a little bit between both. That's why Hawkinson might be a top 10 pick this year. Just ask Because people him. think he's the first guy within five years or so that, that is about a 60-40 receiver blocker split. Or you can get a Zach Ertz who's probably 70-30, 80-20 – 
receiver to tight end, you know, to blocker. So so it it it's really hard to evaluate the position. Most colleges don't even use tight ends anymore. Right. So now you're projecting sometimes basketball players. Well, you got uh, Gates, um, you know, most notably, right? Jimmy Graham. Yep. And uh, Man Hurts uh, from our area yep. played at Canisius yep. and worked his way up and plays for the Panthers. Car- Carolina Panthers. Yep. So. Yeah, yeah, you get that six six guy who's got some. It's all about the red there. zone, right? I mean, essentially, sure. it's about much. the red zone, pretty which much. makes a lot yeah. of sense in this game because you can get downfield pretty quickly. But if you can't punch it in, you're not worth anything, right? Yeah, that, that's why Hawkinson's a really interesting uh, story in this draft. How high does he go? Some people think he, he goes in the top ten. It wouldn't shock me, yeah. uh, but there's very little. I think Aaron Ebron has been the only dra- tight end draft in the top ten in the last maybe ten years. Yeah, where did OJ Howard go? Was it later? Yeah, middle, middle, Dallas maybe fifteen ish, seventeen ish. Right. I was trying to think of the. And he the hasn't high lived drafted. up to that. Uh, he had a either. pretty good year. He had a pretty he? good year. He's, he's, he. I think he's trending upward. And Ebron had a terrible first four years. Yes, and, and a great found year. new legs in Indy. Right. So, but yeah. clearly did not worthy of a top ten pick. So the team that takes Hawkinson is kind of sticking their neck That's out right. a little bit on this. That's right. OJ Howard was nineteenth overall, two thousand seventeen. Okay. Right, that sounds about right. You know the receiver thing. The overall, as you look at this chart, and, I, and if you're a draft fan. I, I can't tell you to. I'm going to publish this. Go on this. Go to Spot Track and look yeah, at this chart. I'm going to publish it, this. Clearly, the overriding thing is that you get starters in the NFL in the first three rounds of the draft. The numbers back that up at almost every position. So, so God, we everybody loves the fifth round, seventh round, sixth round stories, but there are very few of them that really happen. The one thing that jumped out at me, wide receiver, is. Equal 24 in the first round, 24 in the second, mm-hmm. but 32 undrafted. What, what's that story, Mike? It's a good question. I, I just think people are waiting. <laughs> Honestly, I think I think it's a waiting game. I think you you know where you get your, your top receiver, right? My, my guess is because, remember, with these projected starting lineups, I'm using four receivers per team. Okay. Because generally that's how, you know, that's the arsenal that gets worked into a game. So your third and fourth receiver, I'm guessing. How many of those are Those third guys and fourth aren't getting receivers. drafted, right? I'm how, guessing it's a lot of them. Uh, that's what I would say so but, too, yeah. But still, tons of value. I mean, they're, they're, those are still producers in the league. I mean, your right. third receiver is is getting ample playing time. So my guess is it's our, our first receiver, maybe our second, or in those first two, three rounds based on these numbers here. And then it's just shut it down. We're waiting. We can find guys off the street who can fill in third, the third and fourth spots. And it makes a lot of sense to me. I think this year you're going to see that flip a little bit because it doesn't sound like there's a lot of receivers that are going the first round because most teams are going to go, I can get my starter in the second, third, and fourth because it's a, a, a supposedly a really deep middle round receiver draft. It's good to hear. It's good to hear because th- there's been some bad drafts for receivers over the past three years really I mean really bad drafts guys who have not panned out so many of these top receivers have been traded have been released it's it's an unbelievable story I mean we talked about it a little bit on the show a couple of months ago but it's almost it's almost something to watch for because you're I mean think about what happened this offseason right Odell it's Beckham not, Jr. and yeah. and Brown yeah. and Antonio Brown, Brown get traded that's insane sure. could you imagine quarterbacks get, the top quarterbacks in the league Aaron Rodgers getting traded can you, can you even fathom that? I mean, that's what's no. happened to that position. It's come so far that guys are giving up on first-rounders within three years. Maybe we'll ask Greg Gabriel why there's been so many busts at the position. Why is that such a hard position to evaluate? And I'd be curious about that. I guess that, is volume. That's the sure, buzzword. That's sure. the buzzword. Which is a, a nice setup, Paul. Why don't you set up our guest sure. here? In, because, you know, we, 
we talk about the drafts. Everybody listening, like it's an exciting time. Uh, you know, who are they going to take? Yeah, I like this nothing, guy. No. We know right. nothing. Well, we haven't been in the war rooms, right? We don't uh, go to the workouts. Uh, we don't do all the tape evaluation and the comparisons and the numbers and all those great things. But uh, our guest here has. Yeah, and and the other part of it, Kevin, that that I'm sure Greg will talk about is that all that research and all that studying, and then your owner walks in and goes, I want that guy. <laughs> that happens a lot, too. So Greg Gabriel has spent 30 years in the NFL, um, prominently with the Giants and Bears as a director, as a scout and a director of personnel. Uh, he's been there, done there, done it, won Super Bowls. Uh, now that he's retired, he is the author of Pro Football Weekly's Draft Guide, which, in my opinion, is one of the two or three best ones out there if you really want to understand um, what positives and negatives are about players and Greg is a, a great guy to talk to he's been uh, again he's got great stories but he understands how this process works so that's why he's going to join us here on the spot track podcast well Greg it's great to have you on and uh you know you, you've caught your breath right I mean the pro football weekly draft guide's been published or is this all about updates here in the final few days well I think I'm, I'm just about done with the updates too I, I think I've written or rewritten probably 30, 35 guys and then added another 40 players that weren't in the magazine that are all online on profootballweekly.com. So uh, all told, I've probably written 260, 270 players for this draft. So a lot of guys, but that's what you got to do when you do a draft magazine. But after this interview, you're going to shut your phone off so you don't. <laughs> so your editor doesn't say, hey, write something up on this guy. <laughs> I'm sure Greg would say he is so well prepared that there are no surprises uh, two days before the draft, right? Uh, you know, actually, it's right around now that you start getting information that you had no idea about. I mean, it started last week with Montez Sweat thing and that, uh, you know, about the heart condition. Now everybody knew about it at the Combine, uh, but it's a lot more serious than anybody realized two months ago at, at Indy, uh, there's a number of teams that have uh, flunked them as, as far as going into this weekend, but there's still a number of teams that have passed them too. I still think he ends up going in the first round, but there is risk involved. And obviously the, the team that selects them, you're going to have to answer to the media because of the risk. Um, you know, I little I know a little bit more about the condition than I want to say, but let's just say that there is a heavily or a heavy risk involved with him playing. Uh, but at the same time, as one GM told me, you know, he could play ten years without an incident. So, uh, but he could also have one too, and that could not, uh, could be something we don't want to see happen. Greg, what's the process to grade a player like that? How many times do you end up having to actually put a grade on on a guy like that throughout his maybe senior year or, or how, however far you're tracking a player like him? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, first of all, you, you never have just one report as far as one person see a guy. You know, I think it's before it's said and done, you could have anywhere from five to eight different reports on a player. You have the area scout. There's a cross-checker. Uh, college director, the general manager, then you're getting involved once you get into January after the NFL season is over, then you start uh, 
the coaching staff starts getting involved. And so you're going to have the position coach, the coordinator, maybe even the head coach. So you can have a lot of different opinions. And I guarantee you, all the opinions aren't the same. They're going to vary. Some are going to be high. Some are going to be a little bit lower. And the general manager and the and the scouting director, their job is really to find a middle ground, the consensus opinion um, that works for everybody, that everybody can agree with. And that's how you really come about that final grade. And obviously the medical plays into it and, and the workouts. You know, you can have a guy that – uh, when you're watching him on tape or you see him in person and you think he's a four or five guy and then he comes to the combine and he runs four, seven or four, six, eight, and the pro day doesn't do uh, any better. You know, perfect example would be uh, running back Elijah Hollyfield from, from Georgia, you know, great tape. And he looked like, you know, going into the combine, he might have a chance to be, you know, a, a fairly high round running back. And then, you know, he runs in the, um, high four sevens, low four eights at the combine, and then runs even slower at the pro day. I think his times at the pro day were like four, eight, two and four, nine. No. Well, so now he goes from a guy that many thought could be a, you know, a premium round guy to a guy who may not get drafted at all because of that slow speed. So a lot of that stuff plays in medical condition, obviously. And, you know, just like with, um, with scouting reports, the medicals change. And and like I was saying with sweat, you know, I, I know there's a number of teams and it's more than 10 that have failed them on the medical, but there's teams that have passed them. And, and, and you find that disagreement because it's just not a perfect science. And a lot of times it has to do, you know, who your doctors are, what have they dealt with in the past? A lot of times they on the past uh, on that experience especially when it comes to the situations like arthritic knees and things where you know you might have had a player in the past that had a condition and he was able to play through it for a number of years and so those doctors may be a little bit more lenient than a doctor who has had uh, a bad experience with a, a guy with a similar uh, arthritic type condition so and, and for that reason, you look at draft boards, there's 32 teams in the league, and I guarantee you all 32 don't come close to matching up. You know, there's going to be guys that are in the first round on one team's board that could be in the third round on another team's board, and that just happens throughout the league, and, and that's what makes the draft so interesting. The uh, Greg, we, we want to take have you take us through a little bit of how this whole process works but before we get to that and it's a little bit tied to that question is um the the news that came out of oakland earlier this week kind of gave people a little bit of an insight or maybe they've started to learn how the dynamic works between the scouts and the front office and the general manager uh what was your reaction to the wording uh to the news that john gruden and mike mayock sent all their scouts home basically and told them not to come back and beyond that what what does that explain to you about how this process really works this time of year? Well, you know, I've been in draft rooms better than 30 different times in, in my career, starting in, with the 1982 draft in, in Buffalo, and that was Chuck Knox and Norm Pollan were running the draft. So uh, there's only one time in that period where as a scout or consultant, I was not in the draft room. And that was recently when I was with Philly. And, and part of the reason is Philly's got a very small draft room. And so when you try to put in all the, uh, the scouts, the player personnel director, the head coach, the owner, 
et cetera. Some medical people, there's just not enough room. So you got to limit it. And, and so there's probably only four people from the personnel department outside of the general manager who are in the uh, draft room for the time of the draft. But at the same time, the scouts are literally in a room next door. And so if, if you needed a, uh, if, if the decision makers needed a question uh, answered from one of the scouts or a few scouts, they just call him in and he'd be part of the discussion and then he'd leave again. But the scout itself wasn't part of that final decision-making process. Now in saying that, most of the decisions, as far as how the board is set and, uh, and and the scout's opinion, that's all part of the uh, meetings leading up to the draft. And most of those meetings were probably over going into this past Easter weekend. Uh, Might have carried over till uh, yesterday or today, but for the most part, I'm going to say teams had their boards set probably by last Friday. And then it's getting for the first part of this week, you're more or less getting into strategy and, and you know, what are, are we going to exactly do in the draft? Who do, okay. We think we're going to be looking at this player, this player, and this player in the first round. Uh, let's prioritize how we want to take these players. And then, you know, in case there's a surprise that, that comes up, you got to be prepared for that. So that's what you're doing this week. And you're also making calls as far as trading up, trading down, just letting teams know. So to get back to the Oakland thing, the information that those scouts have, they've given that their reports, their feelings about certain players in those meetings for the two weeks they were in Oakland leading up till Friday when they were uh, sent home for the Easter weekend and then told not to come back. That part sucks because you want to be part of the, the process itself and, and be part of the draft. Uh, I understand. I think I understand why Oakland did it. I think, you know, you've got a new general manager, never been in, in a draft room before in his life. Uh, and I think he's worried about security. Uh, that generally speaking, and, and you guys have seen it, especially recently in Buffalo, where you know Brandon Bean uh, came in um, for Doug Whaley as, as the general manager. There are a lot of changes made with the scouting staff. But in the Bills' case, they made the changes right after the draft. In this case, I think just from the security standpoint, the, the Raiders just said, "Hey, we're going to be. It's just going to be." Gruden and Mayock in the draft room as far as the decision makers on the picks, plus a couple other guys. Um, and they, they they know where these scouts are. If they need a question answered, they can pick up the phone and call them. Um, but I, I kind of get it. I don't like it. I'll tell you where it's going to hurt them. It's not going to mean much of anything first three, maybe even into the fourth round. It's when you get into the last three rounds of the draft you don't spend as much time on those players as you do the premium round guys. And there's going to be some stuff you may need to know about some of these players and your scouts aren't there. And then immediately after the draft, you know, the, the, the road scouts, they make relationships or have relationships with these players. They're talking to them at the all-star games. They're talking to them at the combine. They know these kids. Sometimes there's a very close relationship between a player and a scout. And that helps with the recruiting process of getting the undrafted free agent signed. And generally speaking, undrafted free agents are signed within two to three hours after the draft. 
and the scouts are heavily involved in that. Well, with the Raiders, that's not going to be the case. So I think trying to get guys that are are quality guys after the draft is could be a, a difficult task for the Raiders this year because scouts aren't there. So, so Greg, if uh, understand it correctly, um, you know, scouts contracts. It's not unusual for scouts to. Um, be let go or change teams after the draft because that isn't uh, the contracts do they expire may 1st or they go through drafts but to have it happen right before the draft that's unusual um yeah now these guys are still getting paid generally speaking scout contracts are may 1st or june 1st so the uh, the following year, the, I've never had less than a two-year deal. For the most part, I had three-year deals in my career. Um, and at, at that time, originally, they went May 1st to May 1st to May 1st. So um, coaches' contracts, on the other hand, usually end on February 1st because of the, the cycle of the season. The season's over, you're going to you know make a change, and, and so why have the guy under contract? But um, – yeah, I, I just think, you know, from a contractual standpoint, it doesn't really make a difference uh, to the Raiders uh, because they probably will have a lot of changes. It's just, you know, the whole, the way it, it was set up, the way it was written, the way it was told to the to the media and to the public, you know, I think that left a, a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths because of how it came about. Uh, I mean, I think, again, not to belabor this point, because we want to ask you about a couple other things, but I think the, the easy uh, assumption is that they're going to get rid of a lot of these scouts and they're going to turn over their scouting department with a new GM. Uh, and maybe Gruden and Mayock are like, well, we're getting rid of these guys anyway. They don't need to know any more than what they already know. Is that a little bit of this, too? Well, yeah, I, a lot of it is. I think that they just want to make sure that um, – you know, they're, they're, I, I'm going to say this: that the scouts, even though they they had their input when they were talking about the players in Oakland, I'm saying this is Oakland, not everybody else. That they don't have any idea what that board looks like. I, you know, my suspicion is that it was after the scouts were dismissed or sent home on Friday that Gruden and Mayock then put the board together as far as who, who lines up where in the first round, second round, third round, et cetera, and how they prioritize players that was done after the scouts were gone. So, uh, you know, I think from a security standpoint, uh, the Raiders and, and Mayock, especially because it is his first uh, uh, go around with the draft that, you know, he just didn't want to take the chance of anybody leaking any information. And then you look at it from this side. Mike was a, you know, analyst for what fifteen years for the NFL Network, and he got a lot of information, talked to the people around the league. So, so he knows as well as anybody how stuff can leak, and he just didn't want that happening in his first go around with the Raiders. Take us through the process a little bit, as Mike asked you about. Uh, you know, so the season ends, December start. You know, December uh, college football ends, bowl games. So once once the football is done. Um, how does this process get you to the point where that board is stacked in order and graded and ready to go for Thursday? Well, a lot of teams have meetings in uh, first, second week of December. College season is pretty much done then, except for maybe the championship games and then the bowl games. But 
the bulk of your reports are done from the scout standpoint. Again, I mentioned the coaches don't even come into the equation until January or February. So you meet in, in December, and that's your first really elimination meeting. And it's not that you're spending a lot of time on each player. You're more eliminating players. You're starting off with well over a 1,000 names. You know, maybe, you know, just pick out a number, 1,500 names. You want to get to a more workable number. So by the time you get done with that meeting, usually it last four or five days in December, you've worked that list down to, say, half that 800, 700 players that you're going in or getting ready for the combine. And then once you get through the All-Star games, then a lot of teams meet again right at the beginning of February before they go to Indy and eliminate again. So you, you're down to a very workable number as far as who you're watching at the combine. Don't forget, there's only 335 players go to the combine. So you have a, a real workable number for the scouts, the coaches, the decision makers to look at through the rest of the spring um, and who to concentrate on it at pro days, private workouts, et cetera. And, and so now by the time you get to uh, the draft, you're the number you may be working with, with a lot of clubs, I'm not saying all clubs, your draft board may be a hundred, 125 names, and you're going to get your draft out of those names uh, from round one through round seven, and maybe even some undrafted free agents. Now, it's not your best 100 players. It's the 100 players that you like throughout the process of the draft or throughout the course of the draft. So at all different levels of, of grades, being first-round grade to seventh-round grade. Greg, how many mock drafts uh, do, are done by teams? You know, fans love to do it, right? Um, media loves to do it. And, you know, do you guys do mock drafts and do scouts take different teams? So um, there's an a independent thought process in whom they want to take and for needs and such. You know, Kevin, I'm sure there are some teams that do it in every draft room I've ever been in, never did it once. It's more or less, you know, you do your research and you're anticipating, you know, the players that you like. And so you're anticipating that. Okay, who is going to be there? Who's going to get selected? It's, it, it's like, you know, you can't control where they go. So, at least in my opinion, doing a mock draft as far as, okay, Joe Schmoe goes to the Oakland Raiders. Well, who cares? It's, is he gone? It's more or less, you know, who's going to be there versus uh, who isn't going to be there. And so, at least in the drafts I've been involved in, it's more about trying to figure out what players you're going to be looking at uh, each time you're up to bat during the draft. So what I've always been involved in, especially my nine years as a college director, is we had a grouping of players for every round that we liked. So, you know, in a perfect world, in the first round, we're looking at, say, four or five different players, and we prioritize those four or five players. Then you do the same thing in the second round, same thing in the third round, same thing in the fourth round. So, and, and then you try to put together packages. And so, in other words, if we take a running back in the first round and we got these things, okay, this is who we think is going to be that we're going to be looking at in the second round, you know, how are we going to prioritize these players? Okay, this is the guy we'd want first. This is the guy we'd want second. 
given that they're all there. Now, then surprises happen. And the surprise, you're not going to know the surprises until you actually get to uh, draft day. And there's going to be, you know, a guy that you thought was going to be taken fairly high. All, all of a sudden is, is dropping for whatever reason. You might even start making some calls because let's say you have a guy go back to the, say we're in the second round and, and you're picking in the, the later part of the second round and there's a player you had a late first round or an early second round grade on and now you're in the middle of the second round and he's still there. Why isn't, hasn't somebody taken this guy? So you might start making some phone calls just to say, you know, where did we miss on something? So there's a character issue that we didn't know about. Uh, try to find out about that or maybe it's a medical issue. Because, like I said before, teams look at the medical, you know, differently from team to team, and and then you got to start discussing the guy. You, you've already talked about the the guys that you like that you prioritized a, a number of times. It's a guy that's there as a surprise. You you got to start talking about him because he could enter into the equation when it's your turn to pick, and you want to make sure you have all the right information. So, a lot of that stuff is what happens. Uh, on draft day itself because you, you got to be prepared for for all scenarios Greg, that's that's exactly why i can't believe a team like the raiders or maybe more of these teams aren't going to have a, a person like you in that war room that we, we've seen so much chaos in these drafts over the past five years right i mean multiple top 10 trades i mean trades all over the place not to mention guys that you're mentioning who drop for some reason you know something was posted on twitter 18 years ago or whatever whatever it is right but just the randomness of the draft, I cannot believe that they're not going to have somebody who's quick to be able to figure out why, when, and how, right? Well, again, it, it, it's you're only going to draft as well as you're prepared for the draft. And you're spending a lot of time, spending months preparing for it, getting information. And all that stuff should be right in front of you in a, a notebook on each player, you know, as far as uh, – you know, history, injury situation, character, all that. So you, you discuss all these players. Uh, again, you know, when you get to the draft, and I, I'll put it this way, during the weeks leading up, it's like practice for a game on Sunday. You're preparing a game plan. You're practicing for the game. And it's on Sunday, you execute the game plan, play the game. Well, that's the same with the draft. You execute the plan. But you have to be prepared for surprises. And when you're not, that's when you get hurt. And so uh, the more prep work that you do, the more prepared you are in case there is a surprise, somebody falling or whatever. And, and you got an, I wrote an article uh, in, in Pro Football Weekly, I don't know if you guys saw it a couple of weeks ago, about the 1996 draft when I was with the Giants. And we had the fifth pick. We thought for sure we'd get one of our top four players. And we weren't prepared if those guys went one, two, three, four. Well, they went one, two, three, four. And we were caught with our pants down, basically, and, and really ended up with a dud player. And that taught me more than anything else about being prepared for the worst-case scenario. So the entire time I was in Chicago, that's what we talked about. What are we going to do if all our guys are gone? And that's when the trades start coming in. Okay, you've got to be prepared to trade down or maybe trade up. Well, you don't do that on draft day, those preparations. You do it as you're leading up. Those calls are being made today or being made yesterday. You know, and you're calling up, you know, certain things. Hey, 
we have a feeling the guy we like isn't going to be there. We may want to move down. Just want to let you know, you know, and, and you know, just in case you're looking to move out, type of thing. You might call a half a dozen teams and let them know that. And so that once the draft starts, you've already let people know that you are willing to move, and I can guarantee you that the phone's going to light up as you're getting closer closer to your pick. It happens all the time. Good stuff, Greg. Really cool insight, and I think it's going to give everybody a neat perspective when they watch the draft starting on Thursday. Pro Football Weekly Draft Guide available online, for and really, like we said, in our opinion, one of the best places for information on all the players. And if you happen to be in the Chicago area, I know you're doing a little bit of radio over the weekend as well, too. Tell everybody about that. Yeah, we're going to be uh, doing the first round. Uh, this will be myself, Hub Arkus from Pro Football Weekly, uh, Dan Pompey from The Athletic, and Patrick Manley, who was a former Bear, longtime Bear. We're going to be doing the entire first round from the studios. Uh, nothing on uh, the, the, our station, WSCR, also has the Cubs. Cubs game is Friday night, so we're not covering day two of the draft, but day three. We're also covering the draft from uh, – there's a draft party at Soldier Field till I think, 2.30 or 3, and then uh, – and, and Pompeii and, and Hubarkish and Manley are going to be at that. Then I'm going to have from 3 o'clock till 6.30 uh, with a co-host going over probably at that point will be the final – round of the draft, and then a wrap-up type situation. All right, good stuff. If you're in the Chicago area, and we know we have listeners to this podcast that are. Greg, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Enjoy the draft this weekend. Thanks a lot, guys, and you guys have it too. I hope Buffalo has a good one. All right, thanks. Well, it's great to have uh, Greg Gabriel on there. I, you know, I, I love – Paul and I have talked to him a bunch of times, uh, did a lot of work with buffalosportspage.com, and he'd be like, well, I know a little bit more than I want to say. Yeah, <laughs> It's yeah. like he's he knows everything, really man. Net, he's got a good network of people. Yeah. And, and when he, he dropped that very subtly, there are GMs in the league that he can call up and find out, you know, info on guys. What are they thinking? You know, he, he, he's got a really good network of people. I would love to uh, – I, I wanted to ask him, but he, he uh, went into a different direction. But – so the scouts are in one room. Hey, uh, yeah, Bobby, yeah. come out over yeah. here. Oh, Bobby's getting called in. Bobby goes <laughs> in. Give, hey, what did they ask you? What are they doing? Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're FaceTiming our computer. That's <laughs> I think that's yeah. I think that's changed in the league because I think it used to be those guys were right there and their opinion was valued. And now, because people are so paranoid and worried about their jobs that they're closing the ranks. And I think that's what the Raiders I, thing is. You know, again, regardless of the fact that they're likely going to fire all those scouts, most teams in the league keep that draft board under yes. wraps. You have to have a passcode to get in the room. Uh, the things are covered, and I, uh, and it's it's the owner, and it's the GM. It's like there's four people I, in the room. I got to tell you, I would not do a passcode. I would do a secret knock. I mean, come on. <laughs> let's have some fun with it. What's I, uh, the password? <laughs> I'm going to try to have somebody on next week to sort of recap some of this process, but I, I have to imagine that this, this day and age, with all the Twitter mess and everything out there, right, I have to imagine that the chaos just sort of unfolds, right? Like, he, I know Greg sort of alluded to the fact that teams reach out early and they sort of have a handle on things a little bit. I, I think it's the best teams that don't let the chaos That's what happen. I mean. Like, do you think teams really knew the Chiefs were going up there to get Patrick Mahomes? No. I don't think anybody knew. 
No, I don't. Nobody. But but again, and that has, had to throw everybody. Else. And I think there's a perception <laughs> sure. publicly that that there's like fighting and arguing and stomping on tables in the rooms when the pick is on the clock. And yeah. I want Joe Smith. No, I want Bob Jones. Well, we've seen. Some I don't. Of that. I think there's some of that. <laughs> I think there's a lot less of that than people yeah. think. Again, a good team, as to Greg's point, is going to sit and decide. Okay, if we're picking five, and these are the three guys that are available to us, who are we taking? So there isn't like you're wrong. I want my guy. I want my guy. Um, that's what good smart teams do now you can only anticipate so many different things but a good team will have should never have more than four or five players available to be picked when their when their selection is up that meet all of their criteria i just wonder i wonder if there's one guy i I liked your mock draft question I, i wonder if there's one guy you know leading up to this process that is just focusing on the teams around them sure right? like if right. i'm oakland i've got my the jets in front of me right like what are the jets what's the jets board looking like does somebody just project that out so that they can sort of you know guesstimate what's going to happen or who might trade out what's the percentage rate of them trading out uh, there's got that's got to happen you, these you days, would, right yeah I, I mean, analytics th- are everywhere you, you would think it has to happen but i also understand greg's answer in that mm-hmm. we're focusing Worry on about what, yourself. what yeah. we believe is going to be available right. here right. our I can't best players bill, Chell- bill belichick is wondering what the bills are doing right only a bad team <laughs> no. would, only no. a bad no. team would get to their pick and go oh my god all the guys we like are gone who do we take? Like only yeah, a bad team would allow age, that to happen. Crazy. And if it did happen, yeah. then you've got things in place to get out yeah. of there. You know, so again, if you're if there's six guys that you like and you're picking eighth and all six are gone, yeah. then you better have laid the groundwork to go, well, we're not going to take our 15th player at number six. So again, that's what the smart teams that draft well don't ever get caught like that. Do, do you know what um do you know what I wish the NFL would do? I wish they'd do the draft like the NHL does the draft. There are a few things the NHL does that I, I think every sport should copy. Okay? okay. Very few things. Um is that a shot? Sure. Um but there are some things the NHL does well and one of them is the draft. And why is that? Because every team has a table, the general manager's right. there, the owner's there, the director of scouting's there, the head coach is at the table, and the best thing ever at the NHL draft, um, I've covered a couple of them, where the hour before, like when the teams come in, is the best hour in the NHL in the entire season, better than the Stanley Cup. Sorry, it just is. is. Like Walmart, uh, Wall Street? Who's yes. talking to who? <laughs> yes! It's, and so... Um, the first time I went was in Ottawa. It was the year the Sabres drafted the two Tylers, right, uh, Myers and Ennis. But they had a, a bicycle gate, if you will. Half the arena was the floor. The other half was some fans and media spots. The media were on risers. And you went down the media. It was like an autograph line for kids, <laughs> right, in a golf tournament trying to get Tiger Woods to sign your flag. But you just waited there, and you're calling GMs over, and they come over really? to interview. But, you know, they pull you away, and Brian Burke's talking to this guy over here. It was awesome. And it's all visible in public. All visible in public. Oh, it's awesome. Best. And then during the draft, like you'll see a, a, a GM, you know, during a commercial break, they're over talking. They're like, oh, they're talking a trade or whatever, right? They could be just talking about, hey, where are we going for dinner after the draft? <laughs> but it's just intriguing. Whereas in the NFL, they're all at their home, right? They're all at their home stadiums yes. yeah. in their in their It's war usually an rooms. equipment guy that's in at the draft right. site. Right. Yeah, you had Hojo or Woody there. Yeah. I love those guys. But, you know, I'm just saying uh, they'd be there with the phone to call the pick-in. Yeah. I think it would would be better 
if you had the teams right there at tables. Yeah, the coagulation's awesome. Yes. Yeah, and then awesome. you can see the visit, you know, the the posturing visibly upset with you things. Know, it's too paranoid of a league for that ever to happen. Ever. Yeah, but but I one mean, of the, because one of the other great things is when a player's drafted in the NHL in the first round, they go up on stage and the general manager, the, the they're there taking a picture celebrating this pick. You have this artificial hug between the commissioner right. and the player which is right. so I'm sorry. Yeah, we're done with we're done with those. Yeah, days. we had yeah. you know, I mean, come on. Yeah. Um and, and you know, the 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 guy that drafted him should be there, yeah. right? Yeah. Shaking his hand. The head coach, hey, we're looking forward to Right. Yeah, somebody. <laughs> I I think, you know, the NFL's missing that in my opinion. I like it. All right, what uh let's talk about a team who might be uh really interesting in the next year or two draft-wise. Okay. Who really you got? interesting. It's a good team. And it's a good team that is posturing about their current quarterback. And I think we can understand that, right? The Rams. Are we, are we Jared Goff people in this room? What do we think? I like him. You do? I do. Do you I, love him? Do you like him? Do you like him $32 million a year? Well, <laughs> unfortunately, if you're a good to above average starting quarterback in the NFL, you're $32 million a year. Uh, is Do I think he's the a top five guy in this league? No. Could he be? But no. So to, to answer your question, I don't love him. But if that's you got, to, you got to pay him. That's what's. That's what's. That's where the worlds interconnect between what you do and what we do. Is that it, it doesn't matter how good he is if you're if he's good enough to be your starting quarterback. This is what you have to pay him. All right. I'm going to answer this question after I tell you about dynasty owner. Okay. Yeah. Speaking so, of speaking of drafting quarterbacks. Yes. Because you know this, we're talking about drafting and we're talking about salary caps because it all relates to the Rams here. I want to tell you about dynasty owner. It's the first dynasty salary cap fantasy sports game where you know you play week to week but you can get contract salaries you get the roster power of both yeah, year coach, to year on this it's it general manager over, so jared goff might not be a great pick in this in dynasty owner right that's now. right and <laughs> you acquire draft picks or dynasty dollars which is the virtual currency used in the game you can rack these uh, dollars up you can go all this year if you want here's the other cool thing about it with your roster don't worry about uh, oh boy, I'm I'm, I'm sitting this uh, receiver. Don't worry about that because the percentage of your bench is earned in points performance that week because you build a dynasty with your deep bench. So it also allows you to go over the salary cap. If you want to go all in the year, you can. There will be a luxury tax fine. This is cool. This is new. You do it with actual contracts and valuations to combine for the long term. So stop playing fantasy sports. Own it. Go to DynastyOwner.com. Sign up for the 2019 beta draft. All right, my answer to Jared Goff. Yes. Can I wait till after the season to make a decision? I'm pretty sure that's what they're thinking. Okay, too. all right. <laughs> I, it is. I, the jury's out for me on him. Okay. I, I mean, I think well, he's good, but I don't know if he's great to Paul's l- point. Let me put it this way. I don't think the Rams system is ever going to allow him to be a top-five quarterback, right? Not the way they run the ball. Not the way and, they do everything. Sure. Right. Right. I mean, they're kind of, they're, they're turning dink and dunk. They've got the you know Brandon Cooks to get downfield. I, I don't know if that lasts. They didn't use that late in the season, really. I mean, he was a non-factor really late in the season. But Who's a receiver that uh, blew out his knee there? Cooper. 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 Yeah. yeah. Cooper. They were different after. They, they were really different. right. But he's he he's the across, he's guy. the Julian Edelman guy. I mean, he's the he's the the short six to six to eight yard pass guy. That that's Jared Goff's game. That's what he's improved on. That's where and that's modern football. Right. right? So the point of having this conversation is, is if they don't think that he's going to be a an elite guy that's going to need to put up 350 yards every game, that's going to be, you know, he's not going to have the numbers that promote him to this 30 million plus per year contract, but he's going to want it, right? He's going to want it because he's next man up. Russell Wilson was next. That's just where we're going. You're dead Here's on. Here's the Paul. word I'm thinking of, disposable. 
I believe that they think they can run a system where the quarterback can be disposable. Interesting. And I believe that they will make an effort in the draft, if not this year, next year, to bring their next next man in. And if that's not if it's not somebody they think they can they can you know drop into the system and go, then maybe Goff gets a franchise tag. Maybe gets two franchise tags. I don't think he ever gets that that big contract that that Wilson contract. And and my thinking, my concern, my I'm not sure if I'm concerned. I, I'm concerned for the rest of the league. I think. But if the Rams can make this work, then teams will try to latch on, right? I mean, you, this, yeah. this will be the new the precedent. The most, ex- most expensive if position you can, becomes disposable. You can rebuild the quarterback on the fly with your current system, right? A- a- and just keep on going and plug and play certain, you know, if you can plug and play that slot receiver, if you, you can plug and play that left tackle. We've certainly seen the Patriots do this. Yep. With everything but the quarterback. Yeah. Okay. Couple as we wrap up here, Kevin. A couple quick hits from Mike here uh, on a few of the uh, really cool research that he's done as it relates to the draft. You had a pretty cool stat about quarterback. And while we're talking about quarterbacks, teams trading up for quarterbacks in the draft. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's been there's been a lot of movement the past what three years, right? Nine of them. Is that what we're talking about? How, yep. how many how many players have been traded up for current contracts, current quarterbacks? I believe it's nine. Nine quarterbacks in the last three years, right? For projected starters, so it's not about just getting your guy; it's about going to get him, right? I mean, the, the, obviously, the Browns didn't have to do that because they were you know, historically bad for two seasons, so they they earned themselves Baker Mayfield number one overall. We're going to see what happens this year with the, with the number one pick, but I think especially this year where you've got some middling teams who might be drafting a quarterback, we don't even really know who's going to take a quarterback. Are the Giants? Are the Dolphins? You know, are some of those later teams? But if they do, moving up for the quarterback just is the way to go now. You just do it. You, you trade up forever. Josh Allen got moved up for. Josh Rosen got moved up for. Sam Darnold Sam got, moved Darnold got way, yeah. moved way up for. It's just something you do now. Mahomes got moved up for. Goff got moved up for. Wentz got moved up for. Everybody. All these young kids we've been talking about for all these weeks now, the teams didn't sit back and let them come. They decided that our later draft assets are worth going to get this guy. This is the most important position in football. And let, me, let me end with this. Is, is a starting quarterback a, a decent one? All these guys are if, if average or better, right, that we've mentioned already. Trubisky, even Trubisky. Is there a better value in, in all of sports than a starting quarterback on a rookie contract right now? Even if it's the number – even if it's Baker Mayfield at $34 million for four years. Is there any better value? I, w- I would argue um... – Mookie Betts. Is it? Or you know, you know, I, I a baseball know. player on their initial contract and Aaron Judge, you know, for what they what they bring. But, but I don't think Mookie Betts' impact on the Red Sox is as great as Baker Mayfield's to the Browns. Well, what did the Browns do last year? A lot. <laughs> you're talking about the most Eight more wins. You're talking about the most important we'll position see what in it goes all this sports. Year. Is it? I think so. It is now. Well, right? quarterback. It is all now, right? sports. I mean, it's not the it, hockey. It, there is no anymore. other sport that relies yeah. so much on one position to determine whether a team is going to be great or not. Can't argue with yeah, that. There's no that baseball position that comes even close. So anymore. if you could That's get right. one of them at a well below market rate, and he provides you an above market results, then to your point, I think you're right. All right. Here's my. Uh, we close with this. Some advice for those who are drafted. If you don't have an advisor lined up already, call our friends at Morgan <laughs> yeah. Stanley. Yeah, okay. If you've got millions of dollars and you're trying to manage it yourself. Yeah, you're <laughs> eh, wrong. If you've got Uncle Larry doing it, right. eh, wrong. You're going to be okay? on a 30 for 30 in eight years. Even if you don't have an Uncle Larry, <laughs> any uncle doing it, eh, wrong, unless he, you know, he's a 
a financial advisor. Yeah, or Uncle Sam will eventually be the one that you're uh, you're spending a lot of time with. Bingo. Morgan Stanley Global Sports and Entertainment. Listen, check them out. Learn more. MorganStanley.com slash GSE to see how they can help you. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney LLC member SIPC. Should be a fun week. A lot of great content coming up here as things move. But don't forget, trades are going to happen in the draft. Mike will have all those contracts. Maybe it's an air tomorrow, right? It could be happening, yes. I think teams are, are waiting now. I, I, I It seems to me like there's less trades announced or made public until draft day. Well, sure, but the, the they're, they're made. The yes, net, right. The well, a TV net, show, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, we have a trade. <gasps> right. <laughs> Mike Gennetti. By the way, is it ABC this year? It, it's on ABC, NFL Crazy. Network, and ESPN, yes. Crazy. Yeah, but if you're in Buffalo, come see uh, Paul and me. Mike, you're invited, too. Yeah, draft party, baby. right? Oh, yeah. yeah. The Dome, uh, the, the Grill at the grill Dome. Grill at the Dome. In Tonawanda, um, we're going to be there. Yeah, we have a little uh, Q&A before 6.30, and then uh, the show starts at 7.30. We'll have it live on Facebook, Buffalo cool, Sports awesome. Page, buffalosportspage.com. Mike Gennady from SpotTrack.com. Paul Peck, I'm Kevin Sylvester. Enjoy the NFL Draft.